Good morning, church. Please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Gospel of Mark chapter 8. Wow, it's just always a blessing to start the services off with a baptism. And I'm always just amazed at the courage of, uh, of our young people when they say, yeah, I want to go public with our faith. But uh, that was even more true of being courageous today uh, because that water in there is 62 degrees. I'm glad it was you, David, and not me. When I was uh, turning 30, I couldn't help but notice how many people that were over 50 seemed so cynical and suspicious of everything. And I remember one day from the pulpit saying, I can't wait to be 50 and prove that living by faith with a joyful expectation of the day isn't just youthful exuberance. It's a choice. Well, I'm 52, and that ain't so easy. Living this long, you've just had enough time to see over and over again how much people promise and how little they tend to deliver. I think commercials are the worst. Nobody beats our service. Nobody beats our price. Try the rest. Now come try the best. Blah, 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 you know. You've heard it on the radio, you've seen it on billboards, you've seen it on TV. You just get leery of all the hype and all the talking, especially when somebody says, and absolutely free. You go, yeah, right. Because we know free means it's costing somebody somewhere, and usually that's me. Except for their entertainment value. Probably what I'm most leery of is any commercial that has one of those Warp speed legal disclaimers at the end. You know the kind that I'm talking about? Car companies and I think skincare companies are the absolute most famous for them. And no advertiser wants to waste expensive airtime on legal disclaimers, but sometimes they're required in situations that are regulated by state law and where there could be litigation. So here's what happens. Some voiceover guy reads a piece of copy at speeds that literally make you dizzy to try to listen to them. And in modern times, he's often assisted by a digital audio edit machine that removes pauses between the words so it sounds like he's actually talking faster than he actually is. Now, he's not talking at the speed of sound, but I don't know about you, I just don't listen well at that speed. I don't think any of us do. And I think that's intended. So it makes me leery. Whenever I hear one of those, it doesn't make me want to buy their product more. How about you? It makes you want to buy it less. Well, this week I decided I'm going to slow down one of those little blurbs and see what it was saying. And here's what it said. This 0% rate is qualified for buyers only, excluding tax title and license available only to white firstborn males who are circumcised and whose name is Bill Gates possessing a credit score of 900. Our goal is to lure you into our office to sell you an overpriced car at a ridiculous interest rate for which after 800 payments and over 20 years, it will cost you more than your house. I hate in America, it is legal to take advantage of people's ignorance. That's sad, not just because businesses do that. Preachers do that. All across the country. Every Sunday. There's just as many salesmen in churches as there are in car lots. And I hate to say that because I are one sometimes. 
And I don't mean to be. I don't want to try to sell you anything. Ever. Point you to someone? Always. Sell you something? Never. And so forgive me if ever I sound like a salesman up here. Ever. I'm attempting to follow Jesus for a lot of reasons, but one in particular is because he just didn't try to sell himself. He didn't try to sell the church. He certainly didn't try to sell the cross. As a matter of fact, he was very, very much up front with the fact that it was going to cost you something if you chose to follow him. No, it was going to cost you dearly if you chose to follow him. And what's even more impressive about Jesus is he doesn't mind letting you know that right up front when you're considering following him, not at the closing, not not with some fine print or some hyper sales mumbo jumbo, but right up front. We're going to see this morning, as a matter of fact, as we continue in the series that I'm calling simply follow. This fact. We've looked so far at who qualifies to be a follower of Jesus Christ in the first four or five lessons of this series. Now we're going to shift a gear into what is required of those who say, I want to follow. Today's message is simply entitled Price Tag. And I love it because Jesus makes it clear in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John that following him comes with a price tag. That while your salvation costs you nothing. Following Him will cost you everything. It was thrilling again to see one more time as Devin came up out of that water, shivering as he was, that one more time a person connected, contacted in a mysterious way the very death of Christ by going down in that water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That some way, somehow, in that act of going public with my faith, That all of a sudden, Christ and I are one in His death, but even more so, one in His resurrection. And as Devin came up out of that water saying, thank you, Dad, I was freezing. You didn't hear that, did you? I promise you, something miraculous was taking place. Somebody was stepping into brand new life. And you know what that cost, Devin? Nothing. Because Jesus Christ paid every dime of that price at Calvary. He paid it so that Devin not only wouldn't have to, but because he couldn't. He couldn't. He couldn't lead a sinless life that could be a sacrifice for anybody. But Jesus Christ did. And because of that, salvation costs you nothing. But Jesus makes it clear this morning. I want you to understand something. Not just Devin, but Jimmy and every single one of us here who desire to be a follower. It will cost you something and it could cost you everything. Now, what do I get for that? Life. Amazing life. But it's amazing. Jesus doesn't talk about this all that much. I mean, read through the Gospels. He doesn't talk about the fact that it can make your marriage better much. Or that it can make your health better. Or that it can make your relationships better. He didn't say anything about those things very much, especially when he's talking to people in a crowd. What he often talks about most is the fact that it's going to cost you. If you choose to follow me, it's not about what you get from me. It's what I'm asking of you. It's going to cost you. (laughs) He actually says things like this. It's in the Bible. Listen to John 15, 20. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. 
He says in 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will experience persecution. He says in Philippians 1.29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for him. Now, I have never taken a class in sales, but I have been pitched by many who have. And nobody starts with the fine print. Nobody explains the downside up front, negative implications and the cost of your life for what they're trying to sell you. Jesus does. But he can because he's not selling you anything. As Andy said this morning, he's inviting you to a very great something. He's inviting you to family. But if you say yes, it comes with life. It comes with some great things. But hear me clearly before we even pray this morning. It's going to cost you. It'll cost you greatly. Let's ask the Spirit to guide us in our time together. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for being upfront with us. That if we do decide to follow you, it will not be easy. Guaranteed, it will cost us. Thanks for not hiding that in the fine print or hiding it in some hyperbole, fast-spoken mumbo-jumbo but for being clear so that we can make a clear-headed decision and a clear-hearted decision. And I pray this morning, God, if there is anyone here who's on the verge of saying, yes, I want to follow, that they will hear you clearly today. To get in costs them nothing. To follow costs them everything. Father, we're not the only ones who are trying to follow you. We lift up this morning Notre Dame Catholic Church. Father, you know those who are yours all over this town. And for those disciples who may be there, I'm begging you, Father, knit our hearts with theirs and every other disciple in this town who's trying to pay that price and follow you. Father, you know how we are. We're not, we're not, we, we, we just distance ourselves more quickly than we do embrace. So where we can embrace around the core doctrines of your truth, please help us do so. Help us all be followers, not just admirers. In Jesus' precious name, and everyone said now, when Mark has given us this account of the life of Jesus, I think it's really important to remember he's serving as a missionary and a church planter alongside Peter, the apostle. The young man who writes the gospel of Mark here is not the apostle Mark, it's John Mark, who was one of the disciples of Peter himself. Now, I bring that up again because I think it gives more credibility to this passage we're about to read, especially if you're an investigator of the faith. Because it's an amazing thing about Scripture that it records things like this. This is a part of Peter's life. He had just soon probably not have had recorded in Scripture. But he made sure that his disciple John Mark knew about it and he was, as he was writing it down to be an eyewitness account of who Jesus was. When they come to this little town called Caesarea Philippi, Jesus was creating no little stir because of his life. I'm telling you, there was a buzz about this rogue carpenter turned rabbi who was attracting thousands for the miracles he performed and the incredible teachings that came off of his lips. And Jesus turns to his disciples in the midst of one of these crazy days that's going on with people everywhere, great stuff happening everywhere. And he says, I want to ask you a question. Who do the people say that I am? And one of the disciples, we're not sure who, said, well, some think you're John the Baptist come back to life. That's a little bit crazy. At this time, we know that John's been beheaded and he's dead. But, but where do you put what Jesus is doing? What category do you put him in? And some are saying, 
Maybe he's John the Baptist come back from the dead. Others said, no, if we're talking about anybody come back from the dead, it's probably Elijah. He said, well, and then there's others who say, no, I can't go with either of those. I'll go with he's a great prophet. People had no place to put this rogue rabbi from Nazareth. Jesus says, okay, I got a question for you. Who do you say that I am? And after a long pause, Peter says, Lord, you're the Messiah. You're the Messiah. The word Messiah is a Jewish term for anointed one. In the Greek, actually, here's the word Christos, from which we get the word Christ, which is why we refer to Jesus as the anointed one or Jesus Christ. Now, some of you thought that was his last name. Not so. That's not his last name. Now, we laugh a little bit about that, but, you know, we say some stuff here in this place that has to, has to be explained to those who come from the workplace and aren't used to this jargon. But Jesus Christ is Jesus, the anointed one. He's the one that they've been looking for for centuries to come and to restore Jerusalem once again to the greatness that it once knew. Jesus says, don't tell anybody that. Wow, that's confusing. Something like that. Wouldn't you want to publicize? Wouldn't you want to get it out to everyone? Announce it to everyone who could or would listen? Sure, we would think that way, but it's not time for that. Two reasons. Number one, political danger. There was already one other person who was the Christos there in Rome. His name was Caesar. He saw himself, he was worshipped as the anointed one. And he would take, not kindly at all, to another anointed one competing for him being the anointed one. And so it wasn't time yet to go there. They will, but not yet. But then there's not just a political dimension, there's also a personal dimension. Because Peter has said a word, Christos, the anointed one. And they all understand what that word is, but there's two different meanings to what's behind that word. There's Jesus' understanding of what that means to be the anointed one, and then there's Peter's understanding, and they're two different things. Now, you understand how that goes. How many of you here will confess to being married today? Now, happily married. Nah, just joking. You know this works in the marriage? I can say the same word, and most likely both of you will have two different meanings you'll attach to it. Here we go. Here's one. If I say day off, one of you thinks 18 holes of golf, the other thinks 18 hours in the garage cleaning it. Am I right? If I say dessert, one of you is bound to think cottage cheese and a peach, the other triple chocolate cake with hot fudge to chase it down. If I say vacation... One of you is bound to say, oh, great, we get to travel. The other is about to say, oh, great, we get to stay home. That's right. Same word on all three occasions. And we understand the word, but we attach to it two completely different meanings. And that's what's happening here when Peter says, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the anointed one. Up to this point for the disciples, following has not had much of a downside. But from Mark 8 on, it gets pretty serious. 
They have witnessed what Jesus can do, and it is amazing to watch him be miraculous. Be the teacher of all teachers. And what's even greater than that is he has laid his hands upon them and sent them out already, and they have seen his miraculous power move through them into the world. It has been pretty awesome up to this point. And Mark records that when Peter makes his statement, these words, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. That is not what Peter was anticipating hearing. After saying, you're the Christ. After getting right, who is Jesus' question? Ooh, 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 me. You're the anointed one. Those are not the words he anticipated following that correct answer. And the Bible says, Peter takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. Now, I don't know about you, but I would love to have been in on that little conversation. Don't you? I hate it when that's all we get in Scripture sometimes. And so let me do a little imaginative work here and see if this isn't too far-fetched. Can you imagine Peter pulling Jesus? And remember, this is Peter now. Peter, bold, foot-in-mouth Peter. Could he have said something like, Lord, why are we getting all negative here? Have you not noticed thousands of people turning out to see you, being taught by you? Over my dead body will they kill you. You are who we've been waiting for. This nation has been waiting for you. You are the man. You are the deal. Now, this isn't the time for modesty. Who could touch you? I've seen you talk to hurricanes, and when you say hush, they hush. I've seen you run a demon out of a body like a housewife runs a dog out of a home. (laughs) Over my dead body will they... I mean, come on, Lord. Who in the world could do what you've done? I'm telling you the truth. If they so much as lay a hand on you, I will feed that hand to them. Now, can you see Peter saying some stuff like this and then maybe finishing with a little bit of uh, now let's get back out there. Let's talk about some prayer or something. What do you say? Or, or, Or how about those keys to the kingdom? That was a pretty interesting topic. Could we talk about those things? But no more negative on us. All right. What do you say? Well, Jesus has something to say. And he starts off with a name. Not Simon, not Peter, but Satan. Jesus turns back to his disciples after this little rebuke from Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God. You have human concerns on your mind. Peter's busted. Jesus knows What's going on in his heart, and he realized following when the crowds are big and notoriety is big and everything has beneficial and beautiful stamp on it. That's just, that's great, but it's easy. But what about when it's not? What about when it gets demanding? What about when it gets threatening to your agenda for the future? What if it threatens how you view God and maybe even cost you your life? Question, are you in? Peter. Kerrville Church of Christ. 
I know it's nice to be a follower of Jesus when everything's going great and rosy and good and it's fun and it's exciting. But what about when being a follower means your agenda for the future of this church gets questioned? What if it threatens how you view God in your life? Maybe even cost you your life. How are you going to respond then? Jesus wants to make sure this word Christos, this anointed one, we're all on the same page with its meaning. He says, you're right, Peter. I am the Christos. Keep it quiet for the moment. But understand this, that's going to cost me dearly. And if you're following me, guess what? In the wake of that, it will cost you. Now, he gets painfully specific with him in the last part of the scripture, and it's a little bit intrusive, but here we go. Peter, you're not concerned with me and my mission. It's about you and your mission. This isn't about my agenda. It's about yours. And something triggers. He says, we need to move this meeting outside. And they do. They go outside and Jesus instructs the disciples to call together the crowd, whoever's there. And he has some words, not just that he wants to share with the leaders of this movement, but with the entire movement that's present. Here they go. Then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anybody's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous, sinful generation, I'm telling you the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when He comes in His Father's glory with the holy angels. Now, I don't know what all the crowd was doing, but when they get pulled together, don't you think they're looking for something a little bit more spectacular and awesome and exciting and thrilling than that little speech? It had to be a stunner. I mean, life in Mark 8 is wonderful. At the very beginning of the chapter, thousands are being fed. Blind people are saying, this is incredible. And Jesus says, it's not always going to be wonderful. Will you follow me then? If not, admirer, but not a follower. Followers follow when there's even crosses to bear. couple of things he says here that I think we need to take with us today. Number one is he says we're going to have to deny ourselves. But you've done that. Even if you're not a Christian, you've denied yourself before. My wife's incredible at it. The other day I was watching her prepare desserts for us. She had no idea that I was watching, but I was. She was picking out the best fruit and putting the best fruit in one bowl and putting the not so best fruit in another bowl and I wondered which one I was going to get. <laughs> Actually, that's a lie. I always get the best ball. I do. Because that's who she is. She loves me. And constantly is denying herself for me. And you know what? Christians aren't the only ones who do that. If you're here this morning and you're simply an investigator of the faith, or maybe even you're here this morning and you're a rejecter of the faith, you're just here because you're here with somebody else. You've denied yourself. And that's a great thing. 
There's been something tasty, something fun, something exciting you wanted to do. But instead, you, you stepped back, stepped away, stepped behind so that somebody else could enjoy and taste and be blessed. Have fun, whatever. You, you've denied yourself. That's not all Jesus is saying here. That's a great thing. It's a gracious thing. And I hope you do it all the time. But Jesus says to those who want to be followers, I want you to deny not yourself things. I want you to deny yourself. Now, that's a horse of a different color. He's not just saying, I want you to deny yourself some fruit. I want you to deny yourself. I mean, I want you to deny going playing 18 holes of golf. I want you to deny yourself. You. Gone. No more. Buried Devin, didn't we? Isn't that what we did back there? Buried him. There was a public moment when Devin said, I want to go public with this decision. No more Devin. I think it's very appropriate he did it on his birthday. That birthday once was all about me. No longer. It's about the living Christ. Have you done that? I know a lot of you in here said a prayer, maybe got wet. Like Devin did today. Maybe it wasn't so cold, but you got wet. But did you deny yourself when you did that? That's what Jesus is asking. And those of us who are followers will do that, he promises. Will not just deny themselves, but also get on a cross. Which in Jesus' day had nothing to do with jewelry. It had nothing to do with art. It had nothing to do with songs. It had nothing to do with wall decorations. It had everything to do with one thing. Death. The end of self. That's why I know he's talking about yourself dying, not just dying, denying yourself things. You can be an admirer and deny yourself things. Only followers of Jesus Christ deny themselves. Period. Question. Is that you? That's what the series is all about. Trying to examine ourselves and see where we are. Admirers or are we followers? And the very, what does that look like for us section of this series? It starts with, have you denied yourself? For whoever wants to save their life, he promises will lose it. Now, that's across the board. We know that. It doesn't matter whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. It's a scientific fact. Living in this world, you're going to lose your life. Everybody agree? Don't have to say amen. Just nod. Yeah, everybody. Scientifically, you're going to lose your life. Now, there are some of you in here who are going to choose to give Jesus your life now and lose it. And you will get life. But it's a fact that all of us are going to lose our life. And he raises a question here. And he says, now, knowing that, what would it profit a man if he gained everything this world has to offer? I mean money and fame and good looks and women and song and vacations. You've got it all. And you get to the end of that point in your life that we're all going to face. And it's now... All that stuff or my soul? What does it profit a man if he gains all that stuff and loses the soul? And the across the board answer, even in America, that's not 
filled with very many followers at all. Lots of admirers, but not many followers. 98% of America believe that there's something else on the other side when we all die. Now, when we all get to that moment, most of us are going to say, you know what, when I get there, most likely I would tell you straight up, I trade it all for something good and wonderful and awesome on the other side. Jesus says it's a choice. You get to choose. He who hangs on to this life is going to lose it. But I'm inviting you. Lose your life with me. And I'm telling you, you'll find it. It's quite a deal. Until there's a cross involved. God's not backing down. God says, I don't want your stuff. I want you. Are you mine? C.S. Lewis says, Jesus gives me, Jesus says, give me your all. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your money, so much of your work. I want you. I've not come to torment your natural self. I've come to kill it. No half measure here. I don't want to cut off a branch here or there. I want the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown the top of it or stop it from hurting. I want it out. And reading over that over and over this week, I kept thinking, those that welcome what he just described are followers. The rest are just admirers at best. I counseled two admirers once. They were both Christians and they were asking me to perform a wedding ceremony for them. I met them at a local restaurant. We had a great lunch. I could tell they were in love, but there was a problem. They were both followers of Jesus, at least they said, and they were living together and most likely being intimate. And so I asked them to do both me and the father a favor. And that was until the wedding, since they were living together, to refrain from having sex together. And I told him, I said, I want this marriage to have the best possible start. And not only will that make your honeymoon that much more special, but it will make the time between now and then that much more sacred. And I'm telling you, they both looked at me as if they were going to throw up their Slotskys. And Boyd asked me, if we say no, does that mean you won't do the ceremony? And I said, that's correct. See, both Boyd and his fiancée were divorced. Those of you who know me know that that's, that's a word I wear. Both divorced, but they were asking me to help them in repenting of marriage breaking. And to establish a new covenant and live a life full of marriage keeping. And I told them, I said, not having sex for three months is going to be cheesecake to what it really means to make Jesus the center of your home and to repent of marriage breaking. We never had another counseling session. Three weeks later, they weren't even dating anymore. Six months later, they both moved away from our town. And Boyd, one of my good friends, never spoke to me again. Salvation is free. It costs you nothing. 
But following Jesus is going to cost you something. It may just cost you everything. See, Jesus wants all of you. He wants your sexuality. He wants your personality. He wants your hospitality. He wants all of it. Every bit of you. And giving it will mean death to some aspect of your life. Or listen to me clearly, you're not a follower. We don't have time to go back and quote the Scriptures from the beginning, but he says all of us who live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. We will pay a price for doing so. And I have to believe if you're not paying a price on some level, you're not following. You're not. He expects us to die. And there to be death in our life because of His sufferings and our living for His majesty. And He says, I don't want you to just do that once in a baptistry like this. I want you to do it. Luke adds this little word <laughs> in his version of this story. Peter somehow leaves it out. Luke adds it in. He's a stickler for details. He says, and I want you to do that daily. Take up your cross daily and follow me. One Carlos Ortiz writes, when we think of dying to Christ, most of us think of our life as a hundred dollar bill. And dying to Christ is this one big moment when we hand Jesus over that hundred dollar bill at baptism. He says, I don't want to take away from that great moment when we're ready to surrender all to Jesus. It's the most important moment of your life when you trust Christ is enough and you go public with that. It's awesome. And God accepts that. But here's what God does. He takes that hundred dollar bill and he says, now, remember this is mine. You gave it to me. But I'd like it back instead of all at once. I'd like it back one penny at a time. Daily. I want your life back daily. You say, well, Jimmy, what would that look like? Well, it may mean spending your lunch hour reading to a child that doesn't have a father to read to him. It might mean the next time that you're getting ready to go to lunch on Sunday, you take someone with you who could never invite you out to lunch. It may mean doing without lunch altogether so that that money could buy lunch for a child in Ghana for a month. Dying to self might mean instead of taking your kids to Disney World again, you take them to Mexico to build a house with the money with your own hands and teach your kids it really is better to give than to receive in the best classroom on the earth. It may mean walking by your empty room and asking if there's an orphan in the world who could benefit more from that room than your occasional company does. Dying to self may mean selflessly loving a mate who cheated you out of what you thought was the dream marriage and discovering instead a marriage that grace could only give you. Have you given him you, church? Out of respect to him and his word, I've got to ask you, have you given him you? I know you've gotten wet, many of you. I know you've said a prayer in His name, but does the evidence of your life point to a death of anything? One of my favorite mentors in church leadership is Andy Stanley. He was sharing what it meant to go all in with Jesus. And he told this story of a young man he picked up outside their church building. It was late one evening after a full day of services, and he was driving home and it was cold, and he saw someone with a volunteer shirt on, and he thought... Well, he was just walking across the parking lot to get to his car, but he wasn't. He was walking across the parking lot to get to his house. It was cold, and so Andy was glad he picked him up. They talked a little bit about where he was volunteering and, and how he'd come to North Point Church and a lot of stuff about the church. And he said, well, what are you doing for a living? He said, well, right now I'm finishing up an internship with a well-known cable company. 
I've been offered a dream job with a dream salary and dream benefits. He said, well, yay, God. He said, there's one problem. I'm not sure Jesus wants me to take it. And Andy said, why? He told him. He said, my job would be being content director for this station. And it would mean that my day would be watching the content of TV programs all throughout our system. Monitoring them for video quality and flow. But part of that programming is adult programming. He said, I'm almost sure that Jesus doesn't want me to have that job. Because I know for sure he doesn't want me to be exposed to that content. Andy said, my first thought was, wow, it is tough to get a job in this economy. He said, well, well, have you talked to the management yet? Have you let them know how you feel about this? Maybe just maybe they might either alter that content and you don't have to watch that or maybe find another place for you in the organization. A man of integrity like this who's upfront about a conflict in his heart and his morals goes a long way. He said, I'll talk to him. And he did. And he called back a couple of weeks to see how it went. He said, when I sat down with them and I shared with them what was on my heart and why I couldn't take this job, they said no one had ever raised that question with them before in the history of their company. But they couldn't give me the job because it required it. And he said, I didn't know what to say. He said, I'm glad he filled in the blank. He said, so I'm holding on to Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. Now, some of you have that probably in your bathroom somewhere. It's kind of a saying that's, that's getting a lot of mileage now and in, in putting up in the house because it says, you know, God has this great future for you, not plans to harm you or to hurt you, but a great future and a great hope. And he said, I'm hanging on to that in the midst of this. And he said, you know, that's easy to quote that scripture when life is cheesecake. When the monthly paycheck is coming in and when the cancer report comes back in your favor or your second trimester amniotic fluid checkup reads clear. But if it's another thing to quote that scripture when there is no paycheck and the cancer report comes back not in your favor and the amniotic fluid test reveals there's a likelihood of Down syndrome. That requires dying to self and hanging on to God. Admirers don't do that. Oh, but followers do. Andy said, would you mind if I tell your story to our church? Because I'm talking about the cross and what it means to take up one. And he says, yes, you can as long as you tell the church that for not one day have I lacked for anything over these last four months. And everything that I have paid as far as bills has been on time. Amen. Now, the young man who said that, I doubt very seriously if he's an admirer. If I'm being the judge based on that decision and those words, I'd say, got to be a follower. Words like that lead to a life of faith and love and joy. And that is a choice. It is not youthful naivety. It is a choice based on the eternal words of our God. He wants to know, are you in? You, 
Not your stuff. You. He will not accept anything less than all of you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Father in heaven, we come to you thankful. You didn't hide this in the fine print. You're just telling us right up front that yes, our marriages can be better because of you in our life and our employment and our bodies, our families. Just life in general can be abundant. You promise. That's why you came. But thank you, Father. You didn't just talk about that. You let us know right up front, but it's got a cost. It's got a cost. We we respect you and we admire you for that. And because of that, many of us in here will go to our grave following you for that. I just pray this morning, if you brought someone here who's right on the verge of of moving from admirer to follower. That you'll help them see, Father, areas which they have been protecting and keeping away from you because they really just soon not give you lordship of that. Help them have the courage and the confidence to go all in today. Please. And if there's another Devin out here today who's saying, I'm taking the plunge. I'm dying to self. I'm giving him me. And publicly, I'm taking up my cross and letting the world know I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Father, if you've brought someone here and your your gospel has changed their heart, then please bring them forward and we'll see them baptized into Christ. Thank you that our salvation is free. And if I can say it, thank you that following you is not. That it's going to cost us something. It's only fair, God. It costs you everything. And you held nothing back. How could we? And call ourselves your followers. In the name of Jesus. The one who died first, we pray. And everyone said. Will you follow with me? Let's stand. Let's get after it.